What comes to mind when you think about how you want to be remembered? For individuals like Herman Moore, it's easy to obsess about the incredible career he had playing football at the University of Virginia for the Detroit Lions and all the records he set along the way. A three-sport athlete coming out of high school could have gone to any college across the country and written his own ticket in track and field, basketball, or football. He's lived a life of significance, definitely on the court and on the field. For Herman, football is going to be the footnote. Since hanging up his jersey and his helmet, it's the story that he's written the achievements and the accomplishments wearing a different uniform that I believe we're going to remember him for the most. And today's conversation is a reminder that you can always control your story. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium. I'm Manuel Mesqua. I'm a financial advocate to my clients, CEO of our firm, Mass Mutual Great Lakes, father to Ava and Atlas and husband to my beautiful wife, Samantha. As all of you know, I am a tremendous sports fan. That is my addiction in life outside of family and business. And we've built this podcast to share the stories of the highest performers in my personal life and to help convert the things they share with you today into bite-sized lessons that you can apply forward as you attack the vision and the dreams you have for your own. Today, I'm excited to share my conversation with my dear friend, Herman Moore, one of my first friends since I moved to the great state of Michigan. Many of you know Herman for his incredible career at the University of Virginia playing smash mouth football, being picked number 10 by our very own Detroit Lions in the 1991 NFL Draft. Incredible 12-year career, record after record after record. Today, Detroit Lions legend. And it's not what he did on the field, but I think it's what he's done since he's gotten off the field as a serial entrepreneur and businessman that's going to excite you the most. And you get to see the different side of Herman than maybe you see it on NFL Films and ESPN. And so today... Herman is the brand ambassador and advocate to many great companies. He has started a number of companies in addition to that, but he's also the CEO, owner, operator of Team 84 LLC, along with my dear friend, Christy Zavikar, and we're excited to have them here. Herman's going to share a bunch of the commonalities between his massive success on the field and those off the field and his belief in the idea that you alone can control everything within your life, and the decisions, good or bad, they all go into the chest and they help you to make decisions as you go forward. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Herman Moore today. Folks, I'm here with someone really special today, and it's not because you played two sports at the University of Virginia. It has nothing to do with that. But my man today is one of the first men who entered into my life since I moved to the state of Michigan and became a true friend 
an advocate of everything that Samantha and I and our children came here to do in serving Mass Mutual Great Lakes. And I just, I could not be more blessed and privileged to have Herman on for a second time. But let me read a couple just data points on this guy. Born in Danville, Virginia, attended the Great University of Virginia, two-sport athlete, recently retired Virginia Football Hall of Fame. Well, not recently retired, but recently inducted into the Virginia Football Hall of Fame. Retired his jersey, 87, right? That's right. 87. Detroit Lions legend. And he said, hey, you just mentioned that I played for the Detroit Lions. But, I mean, he set records. And look, I know that records aren't forever, but some are. Set records with the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions legend. And I think I'm just always blown away by visiting with people like you, Herman, because of the fact that it wasn't just the greatness of your achievement on the field and everything it took to build to that, but it's that you've done a hundred things since you left the field. This guy's a serial entrepreneur, a legitimate philanthropist, obsessed about everything in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, a true ambassador of those things. And I'm just going to name one of them because I love this company. We've been a partner to them. They've been a great advocate of ours, CEO and owner of Team 84 LLC. And Chrissy is with us today as well. And man, dude, just just welcome. I'm excited that we're together again. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, my mom would be proud if, you know, giving me an introduction like that, she'd be pretty proud to know that I've done something <laughs> in my life. <laughs> you know, our parents are, they always want to make sure their, their kids are doing well, but uh, she's here in Michigan now. So I know she's smiling and she's happy, but Manny, always a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'm really glad that we were able to do this in person last time. I think it, right when I first started having these conversations with, with people I love, care about and respect and admire, we were in the middle of COVID. So we did Zoom, right? Right, we did. Yeah. And anyway, so today we're here in the Batcave, and so I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I want to unpack a number of things. In today's conversation, folks, I got to tell you, it's going to be power-packed around a couple things that I really want to start building a larger conversation around, which is the power of treating yourself as your own brand, leading with character, with integrity, with servant leadership and how that really creates opportunities for you later on down the road in life to be an advocate and ambassador to so many powerful brands. And we're going to completely unpack that with you because, I mean, seriously, like I like Cranes Detroit, I think like once a month, someone on our staff is like, hey, Herman Morris is the new ambassador for so-and-so. And so I want to unpack that. I want to share that recipe for success, especially for our young student athletes today with the world of NIL. It's so explosive and such a huge opportunity. Let's go back to your childhood. Football. And the last time we spoke, you shared a little bit about this and your mom and the power and the influence that she had in your life and playing football. But remind our folks again, when did football begin to become such an obsession in your life? Oh, I started playing football when I was six years old. Danville, it was, I grew up in the housing projects, a place called Cardinal Village. And Danville, for those who know, it's right on the border of Virginia, North Carolina. And it was more industrial, textile location. But People were nice and kind, but sports was kind of the outlet, especially for uh, minority and African-American men, youth, if you were going to go on to higher education and go on to college. So we started doing that as an outlet because you you saw all the other things that were around you. Got involved with this youth group called the Engineers. It's like what they call the Pop Warner, I think, here. 
and I was number 60. And to tell you, I was the smallest guy on the team. So I already knew I wasn't going to play <laughs> because if they gave me 60 and I was, that's typically reserved for linemen, right? <laughs> Back then, right? So it, it was something that I wanted to do. We did it in the neighborhood. It was called, you know, anyone who, who played in the, in the, back in the, what we call the hood, man, it was tackle football. And yeah, you played in the grass was like when you were playing soft. You played in the street when you were being hardcore about it. So we did that. And eventually sports was was something I gravitated towards. And it wasn't so much on the educational side of it in school, but I did elevate very quickly through that. And it turned out to be a great outlet for me and my passageway to greater things in life. I love the fact that you drew the clear contrast between when we're being soft playing on the grass and when we're really hardcore and committed playing on, on asphalt. Oh, yeah. Who was your biggest advocate for just your athleticism? Like you're, I mean, I know you were talented, but it was still a lot of hard work to be the athlete that you've become, right? Who was your biggest advocate back then? I think the kids I used to pick on and also pick fights with because you had to run. So, I, I mean, I, I say I became a fast player because I had to understand how to, uh, to evade people and all that. But, you know, it was sports for me, was part of our, our anatomy, as part of the family, as part of the culture. And my mother was someone who really nurtured that. She was someone who supported it, a single parent working a couple of jobs to make sure that my sister and I had things in our, you know, that we needed, the bare essentials and necessities. But for her, it was also a way that it wasn't about the money. It was about the time. It was about those things that are most important when you talk about the bonding of a child and their parent. It is not about how much you can buy them. It's about how much time you're going to spend, how much time you're going to be around to help push them through the challenges that and the trials and tribulations that we have in life. So that's really what pushed me through sports was really just the connectivity and the connection I had with my mother. Can you think back to a time, and I knew you had shared that with me before, but can you think back to a time? where someone else stepped in and really had a formidable impact on your belief in your ability that you could play at the level that you did? That would happen to be, again, my mother, because I always, I came up one time, I'll tell you a real quick story. I wanted to quit. And she- How old were you? Uh, six. It was, the, the kids were big, man. <laughs> I, I was the smallest guy. And then she said, you know, you can't quit you're not allowed to basically quit anything you ever do in life. Otherwise you'll never get there. And it's, a, you know, you hear it sometimes as a throwaway, but it's true. How are you going to get to the end if you don't follow it all the way through? And she was the one who pushed me at all those different areas of challenges. Now, as far as, as I got into the area of my skill set, it would be Ed Martin. That would be my high school football coach who saw something in me that I didn't see at the time. I just saw myself as an athlete. I played multiple sports in high school. I was basketball. I was track. I was football. Did really well in all. Football was probably my least notable sport. But he said, you know what? This is what's going to take you the furthest if you stick with it. Wow. And I was a kicker at the time. I wasn't even a starter. What? And I was a backup defensive back. And then I was also our backup tight end. And it was only until my senior year, he started to really focus on, you know, harnessing just the ability that I had and starting to help me develop that and giving me that time and attention that I started to really mature in football. And luckily had a couple of plays happen that took me over the top and ultimately led to a scholarship at the University of Virginia. 
How the heck is that possible? It, it, you can't make it's it. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. I've not heard. I've, I've had 50 guys make it to the league on this show. Yeah. I've not heard yeah. that story. Yeah. It's a unique way in which we get there, Manny. And I will say this, you know, it's, I always tell people, I, I didn't come from the toughest background. You know, you're going to hear the stories of people who come from places that are far more challenging than what I had. It's all about how we traverse that and how do we travel those paths and handle the forks in the road each way. We have decisions to make all the time that will impact what happens next. And you don't learn until you make mistakes. Once you make the mistakes, you start understanding how to better evaluate those different crossroads. Once you start developing that skill set, you start to understand how to even receive when people are giving you information that you know that is is valuable and useful and they're trying to educate you and help you. You have to make mistakes by not listening sometimes to understand that you should have listened. And so all these things become so valuable in our, our chest of life and what happens next to us. That's all it is. I've been building this chest the whole way this chest of failures, of not listening to all of a sudden now understanding how to recognize opportunity, how to understand and recognize good advice, you know, and also what's going to pay dividends at the end. And it's been nice. It's been a great journey. I, a, a lot of people say I wouldn't change anything. I'd change a lot of things if I could yeah. <laughs> to not have those experiences. Yeah. But either way, I just think I'm here where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. That chest that you spoke about, uh, that's a great like metaphor. I mean, it's you just continue to accumulate moments and experiences and decisions, right? Absolutely. And you've got to accept them. They all go in the chest. Can you think back to you think back to a moment in high school where you didn't get the decision right, but the lesson in the mistake, in the missed opportunity, has had an impact on you since? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back even further. Please. And there's a reason for that. There was a young lady at the time. Her name was Betty Sarden. She was my biology and science teacher in middle school. And I remember this one particular day, and I tell people this story all the time. She was really, she had really bad arthritis and she had a hard time holding the, at the time, because we wrote with chalk on the board and we had the erasers and all that stuff, holding the chalk or the eraser. So at the end of class, and we, I had her in my last class before school was ending, and she, kids would go out early or she would release some of them early to go play on the, the field. And she said, you know, would you stay in and help me erase the board? And I said, sure. And I reluctantly didn't really want to at that time because my friends were out playing. But something was in me that said, you know what, stay here. And she mentored me. I started to do that every day after school, after her class. And she taught me about character. And if you think about it, to become a good person, to become a person who has the right values. And so you have to be a person of character. And that's one of those things that I've done to become part of my DNA, part of my fabric. And so she was someone who taught me that, to understand how to be that person first, how to be built right from within and have that foundation. And then as I got better in sports, I knew how to handle the success that came with it. And it wasn't about being humble as much as it was about understanding how to handle it. And so when fast forward to high school with coach Eddie Martin, with Tommy Hodges, who I was setting high jump records over seven feet, seven, two in high school, getting offers from all over the country to go do that. But that wasn't my passion. Basketball did fairly well with that as a power forward. 
Got a few offers in basketball, but that wasn't my passion. But football was where I was driven, which was my least. When you looked at it, the opportunity wasn't really there. And yet the people who saw it in me pushed me enough and they were diligent enough to stay with me. You think about that. You need people also that's going to stay with you when even though you don't see it and you may push a little bit against it or you may not be giving your best, who's going to stick it out with you like that? And so I had that external team of people, the educator, the coach, that was an extension of my mother when she was at work and she wasn't available that allowed me to still have that support. And I can't thank them enough. I'm so glad that you went there. You made me connect with a number of conversations I've listened to where, I mean, this is not right or wrong. This is just an observation. Once a young man or young woman is successful, everyone wants to claim stake for having predicted it. Like, oh, yeah, I told him he was going to be unbelievable. He's going to set all kinds of records. He's going to be a Detroit Lions legend. He's going to be the brand ambassador of 20 companies. They all want to take credit for saying they knew Herman Moore could do that. It's like the war general. Right. Right? Like, why, we read all these history books. Like, well, it's always the general. Hey, who trained the guy how to actually shoot well? Or who was the minds? I want to know who the mental toughness coach was in World War One. That convince men to hold their ground and not run from fire, right? <laughs> right. I want to know who that mental toughness coach was. Right. Who were other people besides Miss Sardin, Coach Martin, your mother, who really saw you through that journey from high school to the University of Virginia? You know, it's multiple people. And, you know, you can't take anything away from the self. Right. It starts with us and you have to get up and do it. There's a discipline that starts to have to be developed. There's a commitment to the task, to the challenge that has to be there and it has to be unwavering. But I can't pinpoint just one person. There's occurrences, there are people, there are decisions, there's mishaps, there's mistakes, there's successes. There are a lot of things that get you there. I don't think there's one recipe that says, you know what, this is the blueprint. Yeah. to get there. And the biggest one I think that's in there is luck and chance. Because if you say, go back and do this over and you could give me the exact same people, yes. you can give me the exact same decisions to make. You can give me the exact same pathway, challenges, successes. The outcome doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same. And a lot of people don't like that when you say, you know what? Yeah, there's some luck in it. Yeah, there is. Yeah. You know, think about it, right? A pass play. I could have torn up a knee. At any play, think about it. this is sports. Oh my gosh. I could have gone up for a dunk because I was a high flyer, man. I told you already, Manny. I was hitting my head on the rim. All right. <laughs> if, if I'm already jumping seven I feet, I don't know what that's if like. If I'm jumping seven feet, you already know, right? So I'm skying through the air. And you can come down awkwardly. You could do anything that puts me on a different path. But there is something in you that says, I was pushed, I've been really positioned, trained reared to be resilient. So it wasn't about where I was going to end up. It was just about journey. How was I going to get there? You can take, you can strip me today of everything that I have. The journey doesn't stop because the foundation is strong. The resilience is there. And I understand I put enough things in my chest to where I'll be okay. 
I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in L.A. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an L.A.-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sport of Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com and use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com and use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, Chad, we got to capture that. I mean, this is the best sort of metaphor I've had of anybody that we've hosted on here talking about the chest and the fact that it all goes in there. I love that. Virginia, you stayed home. Yeah. I mean, you were born in the state. I mean, dude, come on. Somebody else was recruiting you. Yeah. Where else could you have gone that people don't know about? Like, where else could you have gone? Pick a school. It depends on the sport. So track and field, pretty much anywhere. I mean, it was unlimited schools, including Ivy League uh, places I could have gone to. Did you consider track and field? Uh, Scale one to five, five, I was thinking about it. Five, I was thinking about it. But okay. it was never really serious. And then basketball, it, not even close because once I started seeing Alonzo Mourning and J.R. Reed <laughs> and, and really like the real guys who really, uh, like, these are real players. That's uh, scary. I said, you know what? So, I'm not ready to sit the bench yeah. you know, forever, right? Yeah. Uh, football, I had no idea until I started to mature and see the opportunities coming in. So it was really, when you look at football, it was pretty much the ACC. Got offers from pretty much all those schools, with the exception, I think, of Duke. It, Pittsburgh uh, was another one that sent me a couple offers, and it really came down to staying in state. You know, I, I was short on funds. You know, mm-hmm. we were getting like uh, there wasn't a lot of money there to be had, not like today. And so, staying in state seemed to be the best benefit. My support system was there, Virginia and Virginia Tech. That's like the Michigan and Michigan State deal, That's right? It. And so, doesn't matter which one you pick, you're going to have a rival. Actually, a true story. I, I committed initially to Virginia Tech. No, you to did Frank not. Beamer. I no, did. you did not. I did. This is something that is known through Blacksburg, Virginia, and I have become a pariah. You caused a, a riot. I have. I've, they hated me for <laughs> my entire tenure at the University of Virginia, and but I lit them up. I'm gonna have to say that. I'm gonna step out of it. I, I'm gonna have to tell you the truth. I, I lit them up. Because I didn't want to have to live with that. But uh, Frank Beamer loved the guy, a uh, great coach. George Welsh got to know him, became a great mentor and friend. And just the support there. Sean Moore, after I committed to Virginia Tech, Virginia called me and said, hey, you know, you still got time to take one more visit. I took a visit. Sean Moore, who was going to be the starting quarterback after a guy, Scott Sekiel, was going to be graduating, said, hey, I want to make sure I throw you the ball. You're 6'5", you a high jumper. We're going to be throwing all kind of routes. And... Little did I know that the more to more connection was going to be born after that weekend stay. Decommitted from Virginia Tech, went to Virginia, <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. 
<laughs> I mean, <clears throat> what pathways, Manny? Hey, forks in the road. Forget about it. Which direction do you go? Decisions, right? man. It's all in the chest. It's all in the chest. I did not know. How come nobody found that out when they did the research? Uh, <laughs> they, you know what? they let me know in Blacksburg. Oh, oh, yeah, they that's know. Right. oh, yeah. We need to call. We need to call journalists <laughs> down there next time. What an incredible story, though, that you wrote at the University of Virginia is special. You look back at that, you know, I, <laughs> so they build me this like fun fact sheet, Chrissy. And I'm like, I'm not going to read all that crap. Like <laughs> that's so much. You look back at your time at University of Virginia. What are one or two moments, stories, achievements that you're like, that's something that like, Hey, when I'm sitting with my family, when I'm sitting with my beautiful wife, our extended family, like I like looking back and just remembering that, yeah, we did that. You know, it's really the memories that are made. It was an experience. It was a, a kid that's coming from the housing projects in Danville, Virginia, staying in state, but going to the most prestigious academic institution in the state, one of the most recognizable from academic standard institutions in the country. and having an opportunity to play in a D one school and not really realizing how big that opportunity was, was one issue. I look at the people that I met along the way who set the standard a little different than Mm -hmm. what I was accustomed to. Mm -hmm. I struggle. So there's a lot of takeaways Mm -hmm. I take from college that people don't know. I struggled academically. I struggled socially. My future wife didn't arrive till a year later. So my first year there, I became friends with a lot of people, but it was all about how do I navigate this terrain? This is, I'm a fish out of water. And it took some awakening and it took some, some tough falls being redshirted, having some academic struggles, having to go through tutoring and all these things, no social life to really realize that one, the school didn't play. UVA does not play when it comes to its academics. They don't cut corners for who, I don't care who you are. And for me, everything was going to be earned, not given. And I think about just that whole experience taught me a whole different way in terms of look at life and look at experiences. So my takeaway is, yeah, I met my wife there and that was wonderful. And that's one of those achievements that, you know, goes goes a long way as long as you can keep it intact. <laughs> yeah, because you, know? you got lucky. All right. As yep. long as you can keep it intact. And then out, out of that spawns kids and beautiful two boys, uh, men now, a pathway to a professional sports career, academic achievement that allows me to thrive and excel in business because I have the foundation to be able to be challenged without being deterred. Yes. And in doing that, it allows me to always have options and I have opportunity. Yeah. Again, it goes back to how do you point it to one thing? How yeah. do you point it to one person, instance, or occurrence? It's tough. It's an accumulation. It's like a recipe. Am I a good cook in life or am I a bad cook at life? Because I'm given all the ingredients. We're given all the ingredients. Some of us gravitate to stuff that's going to in our lives a little bit sooner. Because it's not good for us. Some of us go to things over here that's going to put us in a whole different type of 
life situation. But if you can get those recipes right, you're not going to always be serving up five-star dishes, mm-hmm. right? But man, you're going to hit some nice ones here and there. And then you start figuring out. And after a while, you're going to have a cookbook that goes, what meal do you want? All my yeah. meals are good. Yes, right. And that's how I get into business. Yeah. I love the acknowledgement. I appreciate the vulnerability of just the sort of additional effort and intention that you had to invest in your education. And you're right, UVA don't play. They don't play. Right. And I love that. And, you know, hey, you know, listen, you know, high five to them. You know, knowledge executed upon is power. Right. And you need to go to an, edu- an institution that, that encourages that and develops that in a young man or a young woman. I know you got that as evidenced by your success off the field. When you look back at that time, was there a certain like vision or belief? or motivation that you had that you say like, hey, this is why I saw that through. This is why I saw that adversity and that hardship through to ensure that no matter what happened on the field, I walked away with a great education. I did. I wanted to be that star. You know, you're in college, you want to be the star player. You want to be the one that shines. You want to have all the ink. But I realized, you know, I saw players get injured. I saw players and I saw opportunities with athletes that I didn't realize what that school offered in terms of a lifetime of giving. Mm-hmm. You know, sports, it, it gives us some things that, you know, we can have that moral win. We can have the foundation of values and habits. But when you start talking about building sustainable income and opportunity to provide for yourself or your family or for your loved ones, the educational piece is the one that lives well beyond the, the sports mm-hmm. side of it because it it's the one that people are going to come after you for. That's that that's that skill set that doesn't get old. And so I I had some times where I had to sit there and make decisions on do I do this or do I do that. Mm-hmm. What's going to be best served in the best interest of the long term vision? Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen until later in my collegiate life. Mm-hmm. Again, successes and failures to realize, man, you got to. This is where it is. Mm -hmm. NFL is not going to always come knocking. You just don't know. And even if you get there, it's no guarantee success. Take us to draft night. (laughs) I want to keep the movie playing. Next chapter, next scene, NFL career, incredible career. Take us to draft night. Finishing up an All-American collegiate career, having the opportunity to get the eye of a lot of the NFL teams. And in there, it was a little bit of a, a different scenario than what you see now. You, know, you see the New York, you see the bright lights and all that. You know, I was sitting at home in Danville mm-hmm. draft day. You know, I went and did all the combines, did the height and weight stuff and some of that stuff. They came and did my my pro day at the University of Virginia. But ultimately I sat with my family, few local friends at that time, my fiance, and we sat and we watched the draft from home. And I remember and a lot of people don't know this story, but Denver called me with the fourth pick. And Coach Reeves and those guys, they said, hey, we're going to take either you or a linebacker named Mike Kroll and with the fourth pick overall. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is cool. I'm on the phone. And then all of a sudden it goes, <laughs> with the fourth pick, Denver Broncos take Mike Kroll, linebacker. And then all of a sudden my line goes, mm, I get to hang up, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be a rough day. And then uh, Wayne Fonts calls me at – 
right before the tenth pick, and he goes, "Hey, you know, we got the phone line, so you can't. You got to make sure no one's on the phone because it goes to a busy tone. You don't have like call waiting and all <laughs> wait, that, right? Wait, people don't know that. They today. Don't, you know, Herman, remind people what was no, the phone like? Look, it was man, attached to a wall. Attached to a wall. It's not cordless <laughs> phone. Now we, that hadn't even evolved just yet, right? So, and if it did, we couldn't I afford wish it. I right? had one of those, but we couldn't afford it, even if it if it was. So I know we had the one on the wall that had the real long cord that you put in, so you can go from one room to the, the next, right? So we, we were sitting there and all of a sudden uh, my mom and everyone's like commandeering the phone. Like, I don't care what happens. Anyone calls you, you hang it up. They, no one's allowed to call the house. <laughs> so we get a phone call and it's Wayne Fonts. He goes, hey, young man, this is uh, Coach Fonts. I said, hey, coach, how you doing? He says, are you ready to do this? I said, yeah. He says, well, we're going to take you with the 10th pick overall. He says, welcome to Detroit. I'm like, okay. In my mind, I'm going, that's what Coach Reed said to me, Dan Reeves. And uh, I said, I don't know if that's going to happen. And he ended up, commissioner made the announcement, 10th pick, Detroit Lions pick, Herman Moore, wide receiver, University of Virginia. I was like, life has changed. Life has changed. Life has changed. And I did it at a place that was most intimate. I was there with my family. I was there with my friends. I was there where it all started. My birthplace, my hometown. And that's when I, we did it. So it was, it was beautiful. Do you have a picture from that? I do have a picture. You do? You got to share that with me, fair? I, I'll share it with your eyes only because you know I'm going to be putting together my book. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? You're right. No, you, no, you but gotta, I'll, I'll share but it yes, with you. Only I, got, I got a lot of stuff to only. share with you. Yeah. A lot of stuff. That's special. Oh, yeah. Wow. Was Coach Martin there? Coach Martin was not. Okay. He wasn't, he wasn't Curious. there. Curious. But I have pictures of him sitting with my mom and I when I was signing my deal to go to University of Virginia. Betty Sarton, I'll tell you a little bit later in my Detroit Lions part of my story, how she comes into play. Oh, yes. And and also Tommy Hodges, who was my high school track and field coach. And then Harry Johnson, who was my basketball coach. So these are, everything comes full circle at some point. But no, they had their days. That's awesome. Detroit Lions. <laughs> I guess I could just rattle off. I mean, I guess I will. <laughs> Oh, man. Definitely a living Detroit Lions legend, but three-time first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowl, two-time NFL receptions leader, Pride of the Lions, Detroit Lions 75th anniversary team, Detroit Lions all-time team. John Madden loved you. And you know what? Here's a fun fact that I forgot about. Heisman Trophy finalist. I forgot about that. Dude, seriously, right? And I wasn't even being promoted. I mean, I always, right, tease, I always tease Sean Moore about that, too. I, I said, man, listen, you were the guy, the Heisman Trophy candidate. He finished, I think, fourth that year. And I don't yeah, remember, I, fin- I finished sixth, yeah. Wow. Sixth in the Heisman. Toughest guy you played against in the NFL. Toughest guy. Individual guy? Yes. One human. I'm going to have to go back and look at the tape, Manny. I don't know if I could pick one guy. Can you think of a hit that you didn't like? Bill Romanowski. <laughs> now, that's a little bit easier. No reason. Let me tell you now, this is coming from the ego of the wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> I never would study just the one guy. Right. Because oh, I yeah. always tell people, my goal is to beat that one guy. Yeah. It's to find out what's going to happen after I yeah. get finished destroying that guy. Who's the defensive coordinator? And what kind of system do they go into when you start destroying that one guy? Fair. So, but I played against a lot of them and there's no disrespect to them, but I'm just like, they, they probably didn't think much about me. I didn't think much about them either. You know? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, absolutely. 
funniest teammate that you ever had on the Detroit Lions? Funniest teammate. Wow. I would say Larry Tharp, which was a lineman. He's probably the, the funniest because he had he would always have these small digs at people. And at the time, he wasn't a starter. So what he would do is just he, he would just always start stuff. You know, he's the one that's saying, hey, so-and-so said something about you. Yes. Or, hey, so-and-so said this joke about you or whatever. He always keeps stuff going. But, yeah, probably that guy. Favorite Barry Sanders memory? I've actually, like, I think I sent you pictures. Like, I never had any Detroit Lion Chrissy. When I lived in Chicago, which was my entire life until five years ago, never had anything Detroit Lions unless it was a Chicago Bears standing over a Detroit Lion player. I moved to Michigan and I just start buying things because I'm like, well, I'm going to raise my children here. I'm an advocate of the Detroit Lions now, right? The Bears are still my favorite team, but I root for the Lions on the weekend, watch the game this past weekend, tough game. (laughs) And I start buying stuff and you ask my son Atlas, one out of every two pieces I have, have Herman Moore in the picture somewhere. It's either Herman Moore, it's Barry Sanders with Herman Moore with him. There's even like a return of some sort and Herman Moore blocking. And I'm like, this dude is in like every other picture I have. Hey, I pop out of a cereal box. I'm telling you, <laughs> you, you got to watch out for me. You know what it is? Because I, I count for 5,000 of those yards that Barry Sanders had. Barry, you owe me 5,000 yards. <laughs> You know, for blocking. But you know what? what? What can I say, man? It's a Barry, as far as the story that I would have with him is we were notorious for coming off to the sideline, win, winning or losing, no matter what. I don't know what it was. Crowd is loud. Anyone who's ever been to the Silver Dome is super yeah. loud. And he and I, in between some of the plays, we would just close our eyes a little bit like this. And you doze. And, and then before you know it, is the, the roar a little bit of wake you up like that. But it's just something about the adrenaline. It's the calm. It's, yeah. it's so peaceful when you're down there. Most people are like, oh, man, they're not paying attention. No, it's not. You go into a space to where, you know, we've always heard about the zone. And for me, it was that peace. It's not chaos. It's not craziness. It's not loud and all that. You got Everything's mental. So you bring it down. So he and I sometimes would be looking at each other like this and then want to blink. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you'll blink back. And then all of a sudden it's like you're nodding for a minute. So it's probably the most boring Barry Sanders stories. Other than I did, the true story. Barry's 2,000-yard season. Yes. Against the Jets. Literally runs, breaks the record. Well before NFTs, well before people start thinking about highly collectible items, I said to Barry, I said, the Nikes you have on your feet, can I have those? And will you sign and date those? And did After he? That I get, oh, absolutely he did. Oh. And so the Hall of Fame doesn't have it. Barry doesn't have it. The Lions, they don't have it. I have the shoes when he broke the record. Oh, my goodness. Sign and date it. Oh my goodness! You have you have those in like a ziploc bag, right? Yeah, I like, keep those like, in case somebody come looking for me. So I I keep those somewhere where no one knows where they are. Oh my goodness! I got a video somewhere saying, "Hey, here's where they are." This locked is away, incredible. Yeah, good thing. Wow, what a story, Chad! You got to get an image of that. That's incredible. Your most like prized, emotionally like driven achievement and accomplishment. While you played in Detroit, oh my goodness. just like it's just something that you're like, damn, this is why it was all worth it. I know Chrissy would probably be like, I don't give that one out, but there, I could tell you, there's a story I could tell you that would be 
the most valuable moment, please, of my career. Can you touch on it? Can you leak? Can you slightly leak it, and then we'll all buy the book? Put like this: If I hadn't made this decision at the end of my first year, my rookie year, anything I would have accomplished as a Detroit Lion would never have occurred. It was a spur of the moment. It was one defining moment. It was one fork in the road, go right or go left. And I went right. And it was right. And it was right. Yeah. Okay. And if I hadn't, there is no Herman Moore. There is no Detroit Lions story. When is the book coming out? We're working on it. Because I want to I want to make it interactive. There's video. There's audio. There's images. There's moments. You're um, such a modern day man. It's just a lot. You know there. what I mean? Like, you know, I wouldn't do all yeah. that. But see, I don't, I don't want a person just to have just the, a bunch of text. I love it. I want them to really engage it. Yeah. And engage the story. Engage. And it's not even about me. It's about the stories that are, that are along the way. It's the relationships along the way. It's the lessons. Yes. But it's also the images, I think, that belong to people who have supported me to truly understand you know, who I am and the depth of what makes me whole. Yes. More so than just saying, hey, here's some things I've done. Read it, buy it, and thank you. <laughs> I want to get to the point where we can unpack this like intentional or unintentional way that you've built this really powerful personal brand, right? But Betty Sardin. There's another story with Betty Sardin while you were playing, right? Yes. Can you share that with us before we pivot? In 1995, I had an opportunity to nominate an educator for NFL teacher of the year. And I put Betty Sarton's name in the hat and I told my story. I told about there's a deeper, that's a whole story by itself in terms of how she supported me, how she came to my games, how she made sacrifices on her own to show up at my um, junior high, high school games, how she went on the road and didn't even know she was there and supported me from afar. And then even through my collegiate and then through my professional days, how she supported me. So my way to give, show her love back and to show her that her efforts didn't go unnoticed or rewarded was to be successful. And in doing that, nominating her and then having her actually win the award. She won. She and her husband. In 95. She and her husband were flown to Michigan to the Silverdome and during halftime, they presented her with the award. And that was the greatest way I could repay her for what she did to me and did for me <clears throat> and committed to me as an adolescent. So a lot of people think it's going, you got to go buy someone something. You got to go, no, you know what? You got to take that energy and effort that they gave you and you got to put it to work. Yeah. And if you do that, that is a gift that mm -hmm. is forever. Mm -hmm. And so before she passed, unfortunately, she passed a few years ago. But she was able to receive that. She was able to see what I had become, to see the character that was built, to see the foundation. And this wasn't my mother. Think about that. This is another person that was that pivotal in my life and that the successes that I have and the person I am today, I can attribute that back to that person, you know, in a thankful way. Man, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, and, and we've all had a Betty Sardin in our life, right? I mean, what what a, what a great... What a great sort of like quick moment where we can all acknowledge, man, like like take a second to reflect on someone in your childhood that made an impact in addition to your parents, your siblings, your grandparents, your family, 
but that really made a difference. And like, you know, is there an opportunity for you to be intentional and reach out and do something for them to recognize that? Right. Right. Wow. That's special. Pivot to off the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) These damn lists, these damn lists. (laughs) We met early on, we moved to the state of Michigan and I immediately befriend Dr. Steve Chang's family, incredible family, Steve and Mona Chang, two beautiful children, Stella and Michael, and uh, just become very close with them. And at that time, he was really tied into the game on cancer. And Henry Ford Hospital, the Detroit Pistons and the Detroit Lions were really big in bringing attention and conversation and light to the topic of what are we doing to fight cancer? right? Especially here in the great state of Michigan. And so Mass Mutual Great Lakes, we stepped up and became a partner. And at that time, between Steve Chang and Dr. Steve Kalkanis, just blows me away. And Wright Lasseter, who has now transitioned on uh, to another organization. But what a legacy. We met and you were a spokesman and you are. Quick Lane Bowl Ambassador. Fuel Up to Play 60 Detroit Lions Ambassador. Cranes Detroit Business 40 Under 40. And yes, Herman Moore is young. You are an Allie Jolie Baldwin Foundation board member. You started Herman Moore Tackle Life Foundation. You've got Team 84 Marketing. You've done a number of charitable and philanthropic appearances. Most recently, you've partnered up with Eagles Casino and Sports. And like I said, about every month, Cranes Detroit has Herman Moore and Cranes Detroit saying, hey, this brand loves his brand because of the character, integrity, and values that you've represented your entire life. We've got NIL, young men and women, student athletes all over the country trying to figure out the game of life, the secret to success, making more good decisions than bad decisions. What advice are you giving to young men and women so that they can make good enough decisions to find themselves in the opportunities that you found yourself today. You got to protect your brand. Unpack that. But you have to define it. So the first thing you got to do is define your brand. Define who are you? What do you stand for? And it doesn't mean that you you have to to necessarily get it right, but you don't want to be just constantly getting it wrong. And when I think about who am I as a brand, it's about the brand position. Like, like, what drives me? What motivates me? What are the causes I care about? How do I want to be perceived? Mm-hmm. When you see me coming and you see me going, I want you to have a certain perception. When you see someone mm-hmm. walking towards you, you already see, you go, here's who's coming towards me. Mm-hmm. When someone leaves, you go, there goes so-and-so. A car, a brand, you go pick up food. Everything's a brand. Mm-hmm. You buy it for a reason. You buy it because it means something to you or it already has a message that drives you either to it or away from it. Mm-hmm. And we don't take that serious. And then now, given the way social media work, given the fact that these things outlive us in a digital space, you can't claw back some actions. The world isn't as forgiving as it you think it should be. And right now, those are things that you have to be ultra sensitive and hyper vigilant about in terms of when you think about how do I protect my brand? So that's what it is. So when I decide to work with the relationship, or I decide to work with Eagle Casino and Sports, it's due diligence. 
mm-hmm. on them just as like they do due diligence on me. I have a brand to protect. Does my brand align with theirs? Their messaging. I love the fact that they give back percentage of their finances to philanthropy. And they're, they're doing that to support local communities. I look at companies to see how they work with diversity and inclusion. And, it, you know, do they live up to their commitment that they're making in that space? Because they're going to have to commit to me as well, you know? So if there's an evaluation, that's a whole nother piece that I don't think the young athletes have been positioned for. They're just thrown out in the NIL space. Their brand is to go out and be as big and social as you can be, but not with purpose. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it without barriers, without walls, without understanding that there's still a space you have to operate within. So yeah, I mean, it's a wild, wild west, man. It's a wild world out there uh, for that space. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up that last point. My humble observation, not being in the NIL space necessarily, but watching it and being close on the outside is that we're seeing a lot of young men and women quickly accept the exchange of money for a partnership between that organization and themselves without really thinking about, is this in alignment with my vision, my core values and the brand that I am? Share maybe a thought or two on how, because obviously having the blessing and privilege to know you on a personal level, I know that you've said no to other companies in the past, right? And that's, you've said no to more than you've said yes to. Can you share a thought or two on how young men and women can navigate that space today? And maybe questions they should be asking themselves to get to the right answer of, is this for me or not? One is to establish, I don't think there's enough education and work that's being done to understand what is your brand value? What is that tweet worth? It's not about paying me per tweet. Mm -hmm. It's paying me for my alignment. It's paying me for my affiliation with you. And then also, what are you putting in place to say, I'm going to hold you to account just as you will with me in the event that you breach that trust or you do something that is damaging to my brand. If they don't read this, most of the contracts are one-sided. Mm-hmm. It says basically do what we say. And if you don't do it, you don't get paid. And we're going to come after you if you, you if you do anything that harms our brand. Well, what about my brand? And so my contracts are mutual. And there is a clause that the company is under as well as doing business with me. And then you find out what they're willing to do. There's transparency that has to happen. There is no transparency in this space. I've been in this world, man, for 30 years in this space, 30 years. And I'm going to tell you, it is, there's no transparency. The transparency is in the documentation, is in the contracts. And you're going to expect some of these young kids, you're going to expect some of these young athletes, professional or, or amateur and collegiate, to understand the legality of some of the things that they're getting involved with. Now it comes back to who are the ones who are creating policy. It's the NCAA, it's the academic institutions that have a, in my opinion, they should have liability in terms of how and which contracts these kids are entering into. It's not about the competitive piece about recruiting and using that as now a new tool to drive people and donors and sponsors to be able to skirt some of the efforts to be able to get better recruits that leads to better revenue gen and all this other stuff. These are livelihoods. These are individuals that enter into legal and legally binding contracts. 
that can affect them, not just their livelihood, but their financial future and puts them into a, a legal consequence. So understanding your brand value, understanding the guardrails and the things that you're going to put up around there and the protection you need to put around your brand to make sure that people understand that it's not to be taken lightly. Otherwise, if you're just doing it just to do it, you, one, you're undervaluing yourself in the presence of your platform, just being in a collegiate sport, amateur sport, professional sport, highly visible space. And at the end of it, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. It is. Somebody's getting something. So it's always is this, someone's getting something for something. So what am I getting? What am I giving? And what are they getting? <laughs> outside of, and I'm, I'm glad you went to that, outside of the acknowledgement that it's important to take some time and personally reflect on what your vision is for your life, the core values you have, the brand that you want to reflect out in the world, right? Outside of creating that clarity, I think the people at your table of decision-making are probably equally as important, right? Because you could have this clarity, you could have all the wrong characters around in the movie of your life. Can you speak to maybe one or two of the profiles that you consistently lean on to say, these are the types of people I consult with at my intimate table of decision-making to help me make great decisions today? Yes. It's going to surprise you. Because and you don't have to say me because I know you don't call me. Well, well, you know, actually, I, I, you know, and I will, I will have to say this. You know, I've reached out. You and I, we've had some conversations, well, yeah, especially I'll on the financial side and, and the, you know, uh, you know, long term, you know, insurance and things of that nature because those are things that that mean something to me, right? And I figure I go to a, a subject matter expert. Here's what I've learned, and this is again part of that when I tell you about my story as a professional athlete, I was thrown into this world where I had all these opportunities and I was going to be getting this new bump in income. And I need to find a a financial expert. I need to find someone who understood real estate. I had to find CPAs, business, you name it, right? You get all these subject matter experts, all these people who are coming from all the big name houses and brands. But you know what I found out is I'm more vulnerable at that point. Think about this. I don't have the education because now I'm doing what you tell me to do. So I'm not a puppet, but I'm only trusting you because someone told me to trust you. Doesn't mean that you're trustworthy. And I learned that in most professional athletes and people want to dog athletes all the time and say, oh, how did this person go broke? How did this person lose their money? How did this person get in this bad deal? You know what? Because they are preyed upon. And I say this twofold. Part of that is the responsibility and the failure of those professional service people who are rendering those services, but also it's the person because mm. we have to stop. We have to educate ourselves. And then we have to be able to have a better conversation with that professional so that we know when good and bad decisions are being made and or advice is given. And that is where I am so pushed right now to make sure everything is about education It's about making sure that we are proactive in terms of how we prepare and we support. Because I'm telling you, man, that's where I look at 90% of the mistakes I made came working with professional people because I wasn't educated Mm -hmm. to work with them and understand when and if they were giving me good or bad advice. And it doesn't mean that everybody's bad. I'm not saying that that people are giving your advice are bad. 
But I'm saying in order to have a better and more meaningful relationship long term and one that is filled with trust and transparency, education has to be on both sides. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think I love that you acknowledge both sides of it. At the same time, there's always only one catalyst. And when the barrier to entry into our industry and financial services is so low, we're creating the problem. We are creating the problem within our industry. That's a real thing. That's a real problem. Like you have to elevate the barrier to entry and you have to expect more before people can go out and begin to attempt to give financial advice. Accountability. For me, I found pick anything you do. People act and perform based on accountability. If that accountability and the consequences are high for certain things, Mm -hmm. you you can eliminate a lot of things. Yeah. Agreed. People are going to do what they do. There are so many good people. I just hate that there are so many great people out there that are doing wonderful things and are really wanting to help people because of what you mentioned. That's an excellent point. The barrier of entry in some areas, even in agents becoming agents at the time, oh, of course. were so small. <laughs> and you could you could just be a person, hey, today I just want to be an agent. I'm an agent. Hey, and now you're out here <laughs> managing multi-millions of dollars yeah. and, and doing all kinds of crazy things. So it's there's some things that we have to clean up. But at the end, you know, I, I think there's I have never lost faith in people. As I've told you in my story along the way, you need people. You have to depend on people. But you have to become a better judge of the people you put around you. And I always challenge people, say, pick five people that you pick the top five people you interact with every day. That's going to tell you a lot about who you are mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. Let's hit on one last thing really quick right now. And we're going to wrap up because I know we're out of time, but diversity and inclusion. I know that's a hot D-E-N-I, topic for you. man. Man, that's a DE&I is a hot topic for me. It's a hot topic for Mass Mutual nationally. I mean, I'm just like, it's a hot topic because, and I'm I'm blown away that it has to be a hot topic. Right. This is what I say to everybody. I'm like, why are you talking to me about DE&I? Right. Like, let's just talk about humanity. Why do we have to talk about this? Like, seriously? Because it's such a problem. I know, I'm blown away by that. And, and you, you have to talk about it because it's a problem. We... With our company, with our foundation, with our efforts, we are heavy in that space and we are going to make changes where we can and we're going it. to impact it where we can because I don't want to keep hearing about the DENI playbook. I want to know what is your purpose. I want to know what what are the what are the the statistics that your company and the KPIs that your company is committed to and show me, show yes. me transparent, show me what you're doing to commit to that. And right now, the companies that talk about it, the big companies that talk about it, yeah. it's just a lips just flapping. And I'll tell that to any of them because I've gone to all the DEI people. I look, I've sat at their tables. I've followed their protocol. I've done everything they've asked. And if I am a person who is resourceful and I have the ability to say no and walk away from your table, think about the people who are depending on you to do what you say you're supposed to do and give them that opportunity. Yep. And when they fail them, they fail everything. I'm going to say this. There's two things that I firmly believe in and people that have gotten to know me well will know this is fact. This is not a story. This is fact. I was told two things a long time ago and I've never forgotten them. If you want to create the greatest potential outcome in any opportunity or problem that needs to be solved, you need ethnic and gender diversity at the table. Period. And that's 30% or more, 30% or more in both categories at all times for you to have the greatest potential of ideation, creativity, problem-solving skill sets, perspectives to create the greatest outcomes. That's number one. 
Number two, people lie, numbers don't. Show me the data. I'm sick and tired of people saying that they're about things that they can't show me the math on. You know what I'm saying? So that's how, like when you say that, like I'm completely picking up what you're laying down and I'm just exhausted with the idea that people say, well, tell me what you're doing about that. Well, I don't know. More than half the executives in our firm since I got here in 2017 are ethnic and gender diverse. And they weren't that way when I got here. Why do I have to explain myself? I just live it because that's who I am as a human. I don't need a playbook. I don't understand why it's so difficult. I'm sorry that I went on a rant. No, no, I, I don't I was, understand. I'm so happy until we got to yeah. this thing. Well, all I know is this. Uh, for me, D-E-N-I right now means trade show. It means going somewhere, setting up a thing, and come in and give me a 90-second pitch. I'm done. I'm done. You can miss me with that. Yeah, so that. I don't even want to start putting on my my yeah. my back in the day hat. So I'm gonna yeah. keep my corporate hat on right now while we're speaking. Yeah, me, you, and Gina Coleman. We need <laughs> we need to sit down and and just catch up on that and do something special together. And Gina Gina Coleman is crushing it over the, at PNC Bank. We miss her here at Mass Mutual Great Lakes. But man, she is one of the best that I've ever been around in my entire life. And I know she's a mutual friend of ours. So, um, man, are you kidding me? Danville native. There it is. Danville native, stayed home, played for the University of Virginia. College Football Hall of Fame. Nominee. Nominee. And yeah, nominee. Yeah. I'm on the ballot again this year. That's it. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. We'll see. From my mouth to God's ears. Retired his jersey, number 87, set records, two sport athlete there. First round, pick number 10. Thank goodness for Coach Font's integrity and character. He said he was picking him at number 10, <laughs> and he did 91 NFL draft, set records, played with some of the greatest players in NFL history, including Barry Sanders. This guy is like, I mean, let's just put Herman Moore on a Wheaties box. All right, let's put Herman Moore on a Wheaties box. Man, it's always a privilege to be with you. I love everything you're doing. And I've said this to you before, and I will say it again right now before we wrap up. For you... Football is the footnote. Right. And this incredible career, like fairy tale career you've had in a sport that so many young men fantasize and women playing at the professional level, football is going to be your footnote and your legacy because there's so many amazing things that you're doing now. And I'm so happy for you. I wish you continued health and happiness and I'm learning from you every day. So I appreciate you having you in my life. Absolute pleasure, man. And it's uh, been great getting to know you, knowing the family and always appreciate your, your friendship and professionalism. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our guest, Herman Moore. Stay up to date on all that Herman's up to by following him on Twitter Instagram, LinkedIn, and probably every other social media site today. It's incredible the brand and the presence that he has online. Learn more about his companies at team84llc.com. That's team84llc.com. And look, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow it. It Takes a second. Drop a quick rate, a review of At The Podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts today. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, I think TikTok at podium underscore podcast at podium underscore podcast. And look, post about the show on social media. It means a lot to us. It lets us know that you're out there, that these words are not falling on deaf ears. And what we'll do is we'll take that and we'll share that post forward and send you some love back. Friend to friend is still the best way to get the word out about our conversations. Again, I hope Herman helped 
you remember that you always, 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 always have control over your own story and anything can become the footnote in your legacy and you just have to pursue it with a lot of excitement, enthusiasm, and passion. Greatness awaits you and we'll see you next time on At The Podium.